You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome, everyone. I'm so happy to have you join us. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Deborah Eckerling, author of the award-winning Your Goal Guide, a roadmap for setting, planning, and achieving your goals, and creator of the Dev Method, which is my system for goal setting simplified. And every Sunday night, I lead the Goal Chat Twitter chat. And then on Mondays, I bring in friends to jump on live with me to dive deeper into the topic. And then on Thursday, it magically becomes an episode of The Deb Show. So whether you are watching live or the replay or listening, we are thrilled you're here and choosing yourself because that's the point of setting goals, making plans and creating the life that you want. I'm so excited today because I've got great guests. I have with me Polly Campbell, my fellow Mango, author of You Recharge. Did you bring a book for show and tell? Oh, I got the, yes, look at that, there we are. You Recharged. And and I am thrilled to see you, Polly. Usually we see each other when one of us is interviewing the other of us or we're on one of the Mango Heart panels, which we were uh, to kick off the year. So great to see you. You too, thank you. Joining us. And we also have Stan Robinson Jr. And Stan is one of my, then Gresso friends. So in one of my lives, I do uh, some communications work for Van Gresso, and I've been looking for the perfect topic to invite Stan to join me. And then a couple weeks ago, he replied to something on LinkedIn, shocker, about the importance of research, and then the light bulb went off. So thrilled to have you both here. And uh, before we dive into the topic, I would love for you to, I was going to say, introduce yourself better, but actually more like introduce yourself, seeing as how I was just all, they're cool, let's chat. So Polly, <laughs> you first. I'm good with the chatting. My name's Polly Campbell and I'm a writer and podcaster and author. And I do everything from writing corporate websites and speeches to um, writing books. Like You Recharge is my fourth book and you can get that now. Um, I also write and host my own podcast and do anything about media communications. I'm really looking for ways to uh, make a positive contribution and to inspire and encourage and entertain and educate. Because I think when we have this exchange of ideas, we all start feeling better and we connect in, a, in an elevated way, in a more fun way. And when we do that, we, we live better, right? We create better work practices. We create better lifestyles. We create the lives we want. And so that's really the kind of work I do. I'm also a mother and floor sweeper and laundry <laughs> folder and wife and cat feeder. So I'm, I do it all around here, but I really am looking forward to this talk because pretty much everything I do starts with research and understanding um, the world I'm going to write about or the way I want to parent or be in relationship with my husband or what the cat needs, the medicine the cat needs or whatever it is. It all starts for me with research. Well, I certainly love how you were able to just kind of throw everything together. And if I were to like pick out one of the things that you just said to just highlight, at least for now, it's the whole mission driven thing. When we know who we are, what our mission is, whether it is to inform, entertain, bring joy into the world, whatever that is, when you have that as as your foundation, then everything grows from there. And there's everything under the sun to research, which you probably have done. And I am looking forward to jumping in more about that with you. Uh, Stan, your turn. Tell people about Stan. Well, I'm a director of training and coaching with Vingresso, and essentially we help sales leaders and sales teams get more sales conversations and build their pipeline, which is a big challenge. Even pre-COVID, surveys said that getting that first conversation with the decision maker was the hardest part of selling. And 
The pandemic has only made it harder. So that's that's my professional focus. I'm also a husband and a dad. I can relate to Polly as far as the <laughs> sleep, uh, sweeping and the laundry part <laughs> and uh, the grocery shopping. I'm sure that's in there somewhere. And look forward to this conversation because our focus on research is a little bit different in the sense of we focus on helping sales teams get to use research to get to know the people that they're reaching out to. Because a lot of times folks skip that step and it does not go well. So uh, I, I'll leave it at that. So I look forward to this conversation. What can happen when you skip the steps, Dan? People can get the impression, unfortunately true, that they're just one of many people that you're reaching out to as a salesperson without any regard to them as an individual. And one of the things that we harp on is be human because we are, this is human to human conversation. We say sales is the art of helping. And if people don't get the impression that you're talking to them as a person, that you understand, of course, their business, but you also understand a little bit about them, the doors close very quickly. People know when you're like faking it. Yes, and <laughs> and they know when you're not, uh, when you haven't taken the time to understand them and their business. Got it. it it's important because especially, well, one thing about Vingresso, so Vingresso was all virtual pre-pandemic. That's always yeah. been the business model. And the fact that first there was the shock, oh my goodness, we need to communicate with people how? Mm -hmm. And even two years later, people are still getting on the bandwagon, wouldn't you say? Yes, um, there was a trend toward doing more things virtually. And then the pandemic just it you know went to one of these hockey stick uh, curves. The the challenge is that most of us were not used to using video, and there's a whole skill set around just communicating virtually, let alone selling virtually. So we we help with the beginning part, um, taking people to the first hello with decision makers. Got it. Because if you don't get the hello, <laughs> nothing comes comes after that. So let's let's dive into this topic a little bit. Well, a lot more. What can people discover through research? And one of the things that I find interesting is it's we are the researchers, but we're also the researchees. So Holly, tell us what is it, or rather, what are some of the things that you use research for in this capacity? Yeah, I, I use research for everything. You know, I write articles and books um, that are personal development books. So they're based on science. I, I build everything off uh, medical journals, psycholo psychologists, psychiatrists. Um, and so I'm reading all the time. Well, on the internet now, I can get access to all those journals, and I do. Before, I would go to the library and actually read mm -hmm. them or buy them myself uh, to get up to date. So research in that way has gotten easier for me. But what I think is important, too, is to be conscious of just what, what you said and what Stan has alluded to, that I can also be researched. I don't want to put anything out there through my correspondence, whether it's written or articles, I, whether it's handwritten or articles I write or shows that I do like yours or podcasts, that is somehow going to undermine my professionalism because I talk to some of the world leaders and I want to do that. I mean, right? These people are brilliant and I want to learn more. So I pick the people that I want to learn from. But I don't want to waste their time. So I'm very well aware that when I'm doing research, I'm also being researched so they can check out to see how serious I am and how capable I am, how honest, how credible. So I think it, for me, it's all about authenticity. It's about not only authenticity to my readers, but also authenticity in the jobs that I choose to do, the projects I choose to write. Mm -hmm. So when I reach out to someone, 
uh, it's congruent with the person they're going to meet on the phone or on video or sometimes in person. That that doesn't happen so much anymore for me. So I read their books. I read their articles. I look to make sure my message and my personal mission and purpose align with their message. I'm not just picking people because they're cool. I'm picking people that authentically fit my message and have something to offer to that. Um, I'm looking at the market they're in. Will I be showcasing their work in a place that will benefit them? Because they need mm -hmm. to have value. So if I'm doing a personal development podcast, which, which I do, um, I'm not going to pick a celebrity as much as I'd like to talk to her who you know, wants to talk about their next movie, unless it's a personal development movie or something <laughs> to that effect. So I'm not going to just go researching and, and looking at the messages that, that I'm personally interested in. It's a very narrow focus of the types of things that are going to be on my show. So I researched that. Will their message align with my message? Mm -hmm. It's a whole cross-section. Um, I read other interviews they've done. I want to know if the information I'm writing in my book, the studies I'm quoting in my book have been done before. Is it old news? Are people bored with this? I researched the market. I know who I write for. I know my audience really well. Is this something those people would be interested in? If it's not, I'm going to find a different venue to explore my curiosity. I'm not going to write a book that nobody wants to read because I'm a writer. That's how I buy, you know, oranges and pizza and beer. So I'm going to uh, write something that the market is also interested in. Now, I may write other things, but that's for my own curiosity. That's not something I'm necessarily going to research the market for. Um, so I could I could go on forever. I want to also find out where people live and what they care about, because it's like you did at the top of the show. Um, I care about the people I'm talking to, and I care about the people I'm talking for or writing for. And I want to connect. It's a, it's a sincere thing because it's like what you said. Um, I think that lack of sincerity really comes through and, and I don't want to waste my time nor their time. So it's all aspects of uh, something I write or some, a show I do that I research from the very, from the beginning of the idea to find out if there's enough information out there where I can talk or write about it for a couple hundred pages all the way to the people I want to interview, the things they care about, and whether this would be beneficial to them, to me, and my readers. Wow, that's a that's a lot of pretty thorough. Yeah, well, it is, but that's that's what we want to be. And at least, at least for me, I remember even at the start of Facebook, I've always kept my my Facebook professional. Granted, you know, even when there were opportunities to, you know, go out party and whatever. I don't know that I have those pictures as of late, but it's, <laughs> it's, not, it's not something that I would put out there. But it's even now um, when people are basically living and working in the same space, the authenticity layer is really, really thin, which is okay because it's like, when you do what you love, it shows. When you don't do what you love, it really, really shows. And I think the same thing can be said of research. When you know the person you're talking to, it shows. And when you don't, it's very, very blatant. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to swap over for Stan. Now, Stan, same question. What do you can be discovered through research? I'm so glad you repeated the question because I was following Polly and it was like, whoa, where did this start? <laughs> but but in in our industry, it is there are a lot of principles that are very similar in terms of knowing your audience. Um, if you really want to get deeper when we're dealing with salespeople, the ideal thing is for a salespeople not only to understand the market that they're selling to, but in the best of all worlds, understand their customers' customers. Because then they can help their customers be even more successful. And that's a whole nother level of understanding and research. And it's the best salespeople that are going to take 
the time and do the research to get to that depth of understanding. One of the things that, that you said, Deb, though, that, that could be a whole nother conversation is that not only are we doing the research, but especially today, we can expect to be researched. And what I've spent the past 10 years at this point uh, training on is LinkedIn. And in the professional world these days, people expect to be able to find you and learn about you as a professional on LinkedIn. Now it does vary by industry. Some industries it's just, you know, it's not as important, but in the business to business world, which is the arena that I spend most of my time in and Vin Gresso focuses on, that's the expectation. And if you're not on LinkedIn, it raises eyebrows because your competitors definitely are. Um, the other part of it is that when people research you, they're going to go to normally to one of two places. They're going to go to Google. And if they Google you, your LinkedIn profile should appear in the top three search results. So if you, if we don't have a LinkedIn profile that represents who we are and what we do and who we help, it is a huge missed opportunity. Now I'm I'm a baby boomer. When the the I remember getting excited about getting a Yahoo email. No, I'm sorry, a hotmail email. email address. And how cool that was. So you know, I remember, you know, fax machines when that was cutting edge technology and pagers and all that kind of thing. So I said all of that to say that when when social media came out. I had zero interest in having my picture anywhere on anyone's net. But the world that we live in today, that horse has left the barn. In other words, it, it's like, Stan, you have to get over it because that's where we are. Um, so that part of it is just taking advantage of the fact that if people are going to research you, Use tools like LinkedIn to your advantage so that when they do look for you there, they can understand right off the bat, can this person help me? Is this person of interest to me? Is this person someone I can help or not? Because there are over 800 million people on LinkedIn. No one's going to serve all of them. The, the, what research can help you accomplish as the researcher all the things that, that Polly mentioned in terms of clearly identifying your audience, making sure that your message resonates with them, um, being able to help them at a deeper level by understanding them, their industry, what their pain points are and how you can help, or in some cases not help. Because, for example, our, our CEO was talking with, with someone who contacted him about wanting training. And as he got into his questions about what they were looking for, he basically said, we're not the company to help you, but let me recommend someone else who can. The, the whole knowing thy network, let's call it that, it is a definitely a good point because you can't help everybody. And the more people you know, the more people you know, know. I, I talk in my book about connections and connectors. We all have our connections, but we also have those people who appear to know everybody. And yes, I tend to be one of those people. <laughs> As I'd imagine uh, you are Polly and Stan, you've kind of been forced into, is that correct-ish? That's correct. I know people within my segment, right? Mm -hmm. um, publishing and uh, super inspiring, smart people who are doing the research for the things that, that we are interested in and, and curious about. Um, but I would say that that has been, is something I'm having to work harder on because 
I'm, I would define, I would label myself as an introvert who likes people. You know, I can talk at a party, for example, but I don't want to go to the party. <laughs> so if I wow. get to the party, then I'm good, but I don't want to go to the party. So I've had to really challenge myself, especially uh, during COVID because my, I, I, you know, I work from a desk in a back office in my house. And it used to be when I was starting up, that I would go everywhere and talk to people. It was just the way it is. You get an assignment, I'd go out on, on the farm and interview the farmer, or I'd go into the lab and interview the doctor or wherever I was. So over the years with the, with the emergence of the internet, I had to change the nature of my research and learn how to connect with people like Stan is talking about on a deeper level within this modality, because I still needed the information. I still needed the quotes and people are not going to give me the intimate details that I sometimes look for in my writing if they don't feel safe with that. Right. And face to face, you can build that a little differently. People are either going to like me or they're going to hate me. And I think talking to people in real life, even on the phone still or meeting them when you can, I still think it's super, super valuable. But, and, and I think research is a part of those personal interviews. So that's the first thing I would say. Mm -hmm. And yet, like Stan said, the horse has left the barn. The world has changed and has changed significantly even in the last two years. So if I don't adapt my research methods to what people are comfortable with now and develop a new way of connecting with them, I'm going to be fairly ineffective in almost everything I do for my job. So I'm really learning and evolving in this process. Even as we talk about, I hear things that the two of you are saying, I'm like, right. Oh, click. That makes sense. And I was just thinking of this today. I was online um, on Facebook and I have a very good friend who's super, super, effective in his job. Um, one of the top producers. And yet he put something on Facebook today that I don't think is core to the person I know. It didn't seem to align with the person I know him to be. And it turned me off. It turned me off in such a way where I was just happened to be there. I wasn't researching him. He's my buddy. But mm -hmm. I saw this post and I thought, huh, that would turn me away. So when you guys are talking about this angle, that's right. Like I want to be authentic, but I also want to be deliberate in what, how I show up um, so that people have a chance to get me, get to know me in an honest way, but not in a way that might um, either sell the whole thing. Cause I can't deliver everything. And there's only certain people I work with or, uh, behave in a way that is not alignment in alignment with my values either. There's nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. True. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I have to, before we go back to Stan, um, uh, Eugene Barlas wrote in, in response to your, your email, <laughs> one sure way to be ignored as a salesman is to have an AOL or hotmail address. They go to my spam folder and I never see them. You must have a corporate address. Uh, I agree and disagree because I use, I do have info at the debtmethod.com and I have deecroing at gmail.com. And of course my Vingresso address, I'm more likely though, just because I have the Gmail comfort level to use that one. What do you think, Stan? <laughs> It depends. You know? on it, Yes. No. This is one of those. This is one of the many. It depends. Answers. If if you're dealing with professionals or B two B, I absolutely agree with what he said. Um, it's it's because it's not well. In in my world, it's not so much a matter of my comfort level as the audience and their expectations, and they expect to see a corporate email address. The other thing is everyone is getting bombarded with emails and anything that they can use to quickly filter people out. That's one of the things that they're going to do, unfortunately, for better or for worse. Um, it's different if you already know them. But even them, if, if they've got their email filters set up a certain way, you're going to spam. No one wants spam. That's true. Okay. I, yeah. I think I have it ish. I use the Gmail for my freelancing and I use info at the dev method for my, my corporate 
outreach. So I think I'm I'm good. I feel better having cleared that up. I, I want to talk about LinkedIn again for a minute because we were talking about this right before we went live. I said to Polly, do you do LinkedIn? I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I no, am I'm anyway. Good. I'm sorry. Uh, because Stan and I live on LinkedIn. I live on Facebook and I've got my Twitter chat as well. And I do a little Instagram and YouTube videos. But if I were to connect with anyone, LinkedIn really is my first outreach because it's everyone's comfort level. It's the professional, even though, again, as we said, Facebook is a little bit of both. What do you think, Stan? Would you like to extol the virtues of LinkedIn a little bit more? <laughs> um, it's funny because, Polly, you'll see a LinkedIn invitation from me. Good. I'll look for it. Yep. Yep. And and um, I, I'm not going to say it's a generational thing. It's more the audience that, that people are focusing on, whether they wind up spending most of their time on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, my daughter, TikTok. Um, yeah. But yeah, but it, it's one of the areas that I just realized I had to change. Um, and the one thing about LinkedIn is it's perceived, for better or worse, as a professional network. And it, it that's the way it started. It started as kind of a Rolodex let's just say a digital Rolodex um, and it stayed that way. So um, it is powerful, both in the sense of what you can do for your, your personal and professional brand and how a lot of people are using it these days to distribute content, to position themselves as a subject matter expert or thought leader, whatever the case may be, because a lot of executives who don't have a lot of time what they'll do is they'll use LinkedIn to do some of their reading. So they won't use it for networking in the sense that, that say a salesperson would, would do. Um, but they'll use, keep up with what thought leaders in their industry are talking about. Yeah, that's how I, I, I do have a profile on LinkedIn and that's how I use it. And I, I'm separate, I separate different, when I talk to my readers, it's on Facebook, or it's through my newsletter, which they subscribe to, because that is where that demographic is. And Facebook is kind of shifting a little bit. I'm going more to Instagram now. There's a huge, huge book community on Instagram. I'm also on Twitter. That's where the writers are. So it depends on the news I'm releasing. I will put a blog post from psychology today that, that I wrote or that I read on LinkedIn. I will do publishing news. If I get a new book deal or something on LinkedIn, or if I'm speaking often to a, a corporate, I do some corporate training and so forth. If I'm speaking to that group, I'll plug that business on LinkedIn, you know, the person who hires me. But when I'm selling books, I want to build a relationship with people before the book comes out, so they want more of that. It's it's the closest thing I can get to. Like when I my first book, I did a lot of in person readings, um, and if I met a person, they tended to be interested in the book because we could get we could have that one on one connection. And right now, although I'm curious too, because it's starting to change a little bit, my page on Facebook that's facilitating that and driving people to my newsletter. And I researched this before I did that because I was concerned a little bit about um, the changes at Facebook and also some of, um, you know, you have to evaluate when you're on those, those platforms, if they fit uh, your own ethics and the other things going on in the world too. I don't get too heavy into that, but it's something I'm aware of. Um, but I was afraid that what if, everybody moves off Facebook or Instagram or into these other places and I'm standing there alone. So the newsletter has been a way to also build that relationship with the people who are buying the books and are listening to the podcast. However, I'm now branching into a little more entrepreneurship. So I'm switching gears again for another audience. So I'm, I'm uh, writing down everything Stan is saying basically tonight. That's learning from him right now. Which is why I love putting people from different parts of my life together, because we all have different things to offer, different skill sets, different levels of 
everything, which is awesome. And, and I think you both address this, but I'd love to go back to this question. What do you research and how do you research? So Stan as a human or as a Vengrasite, Grassonian, what is it that you research personally and professionally? And you can say LinkedIn, but also what else? Uh, Amazon. Um, you know, oddly enough has, well, I was about to say it has nothing to do with, with professional, my, the professional side, but that is not true in terms of books that I'm looking to read. Uh, you know, it, it's Amazon and what are people saying about him and, you know, getting the free sample to say, okay, is this, is this something that I really want to spend the time to read? Uh, cause I was looking about at my reading list. And um, long overdue, I just added your book, Deb, to the my because I thought I had it already, but but no. So um, so without going down the the rabbit hole of what's in my Kindle library right now, um, we it's funny. There's so much information available digitally. Um, not just online, but just within social networks. So one of the things, Polly, you mentioned and and your approach to things, you know, I'm glad to hear you're taking notes, but it's perfect because the biggest thing you said, well, I'm on, um, I forget which of the networks you mentioned, but I'm there because that's where my audience is. Right. That's that's the key. You, you need to be where your audience is. So... Um, if, if someone's audience is not on LinkedIn, then that's not where they need to spend their time. They it probably makes sense for them to craft a profile that when people come across it, it doesn't look like they're looking for their next job. It looks like they're explaining to their intended audience how they help that audience. Okay. I'm assuming that, that they're not looking for their next job. But that's one of the biggest problems with LinkedIn profiles is everyone just takes their resume and copies it onto their mm. LinkedIn profile, forgetting the fact that I'm not looking for a job right now. You know, I have an audience that I'm trying to reach, I'm trying to appeal to. And when they come to my profile, it looks like I'm job hunting. Um, it's can, 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 I, yeah. can I jump off of that real quick before you finish your thought? I think that's one of the problems with LinkedIn is people think it's just for job hunting and they figure, and this is one bit of advice I always give to, to people. If you just start a new job and you love it, update it within the first month because say in six months you don't love it. Or even if you do, it's going to be red flags all over the place. So until the culture of LinkedIn changes that where it's all resource driven, whether resume driven, I think that's going to, that's going to keep cropping up. But if you stay on top of it, you don't give out red flags. So I just wanted to. Deb, can I jump in on that really quick? As a, as a journalist and an author, I use LinkedIn for basic beginning of my research to find the people who are leading the industry of the next topic I'm going to write about. So that is something what you just said is really key for me. If I look at somebody's profile and they are listing every job or they're listing something that hasn't been updated for a year or two or whatever it is, um, or they don't have a recent posting, I'm going to probably go somewhere else because I want somebody who's contemporary and working and, and, uh, putting the edgier stuff out there because my audience, because I, all, every audience is fast moving now right? Yesterday's news is truly like from news five minutes ago. So I want the most current relevant people that I can find in the industry. And the other thing I'll say on that is I cannot tell you how many great sources I have passed by because I couldn't find their contact information on the website, or I couldn't find their phone number or email on social media, whether it's LinkedIn or wherever. If I have to work too hard, I mean, there are a million psychologists out there, right? And I have a whole list. I'll get the names of 10 people that would be great for whatever I'm working on. And 
I'll take information and we'll see what works and, and not everybody can articulate their views. But if I can't find your phone number or your email, I'm, I'm done. You got about 30 seconds for that once I pick your name. So mm -hmm. it's amazing how many websites don't even have easy to see contact information. Yeah. You just gave me a PTSD moment because <laughs> I used, I used Sorry. to... Uh, no, it's fine. But I, I had forgotten about this, but it's so true. I used to write for a kids activity website and we would do the compilation posts. And for those, I chose the best content, the things that were in alignment with what I was writing. And some of the people, it yeah. took me forever or they never got mentioned. So maybe if they saw there was a link back to their site, they'd reach out. But that was probably even more time consuming than writing the article. For sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And, and I'm going to let you finish your thought in just a second because I want to shout out to Rachel Wolf, our mango friend. This is so interesting. Love hearing what everyone has to say. Thank you for tuning in. And Gene has a question for you, Stan. And I was going to bring this up. So I love that it's in the form of a question. Why do so many sales professionals or almost anyone else send out LinkedIn connections to potential clients? without including a connection note? Well, I, the short answer is because we're lazy. And that, that's the short answer. Now, to give some folks the benefit of a doubt, some folks don't know that you can add a note. And one of the things that we, that we harp on is don't send an invitation without a note. I mean, unless it's to your brother. But, but, you know, so you know what I'm talking about, close. But otherwise, add a note as far as why you want to connect with them. Now, it doesn't have to be, you know, war and peace. It, hey, I love connecting with other people in my industry. Saw you on LinkedIn. Are you open to connecting? Boom, that's it. And yeah, so go ahead, Deb. I was going to say, yes, absolutely. There's another benefit, though for sending a note with your LinkedIn invitation is it will remind you where you met them or how you met them. So it might be, you know, oh, I saw you were a guest on Gold Chat Live with Deb. I'd love to connect with you. Oh, I met that person through Deb's show or we were at this networking event. A few months ago, someone reached out. She said, Deb, we met last year through this. Let's connect. And I didn't think that's where I met her and I was right. Because I looked back in and so I remember sending, it was great seeing you at the event today. I went back to that date in my calendar and I found where I actually met her. So I made it a little hard for me, but I think that's the extra benefit to writing the notes. It's so much easier for tracking. That, yeah. And that's brilliant from, the, from that side of it, because it does get really hard to remember, okay, where did, where did I meet this person? especially if some time has gone by. So I hope that at least in part answers the question. We don't because we're lazy and because we think, oh, I'm going to have to write something. And um, we, we, one of the things we have is some people use text expanders. We have a tool called Fly Message, um, which allows you to just set up short codes for messages that you send repeatedly. And a LinkedIn invitation is a form of that. So you can set up a, a three-letter short code, type it in, the LinkedIn message that you want to use automatically populates. So if anyone's used a text expander, it's very similar to that. But you can also send those, those personalized connection messages on your mobile device as well as desktop. Because a lot of times folks don't know, I can do this on my phone, and it does make it easier. Well, I'm thrilled that you mentioned Fly Message. I will put the link to that in the recap. And this is a good a good time for me to say you can go to thedevmethod.com slash blog to get the recap for this and the previous Gold Chat Lives and also the links to our wonderful guests and the things that they mentioned. So we'll be sure to include that link. I use Fly Message for... Um, I have a bio one. So if I'm applying to speak to someone, they're like, great, Deb, send me your bio. All I have to do is I think I've got B10. 
and then boop, like magic. Now, Stan, did you have another point that I interrupted you on like 20 minutes ago? <laughs> I think I interrupted too. <laughs> no, well, in all honesty, we should keep rolling because I would have to think too hard. <laughs> I suffer from delayed intelligence. And so if it's not at the top of my mind, I'll think of it 20 minutes after the show's over. So. So, You'll send me an email. Hey, Dad, uh, yeah. can you put this in the recap? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot to say. Well, we were talking about what do you research and how you research. So you mentioned Amazon and looking things up and for your personal point of view. Yep. And, and the only other thing I was going to mention as far as that goes is the power of, of social networks as a research tool for listening. Because one of the things we talk about is, uh, again, my world is a world of sales, but there's a lot of things that overlap is we're used to reaching out via email and via phone, but there's so many other channels of communication. There's video. You can leave a voice message. You can drop a message on a social network. So one of the, the text messages. So one of the things we suggest to people that are reaching out is try people on different channels. So you can try and identify what's their favorite channel. Because there's some people who will only answer a text message. Others live on email. Other people say, I'm on LinkedIn all the time. I see those messages when they come up, they answer that. So it's really helpful to be able to use multiple channels for outreach just because it makes you more effective. You'll find your response rate going up when you try multiple channels. But also social networks, Twitter, Facebook, great research tools to try and get a sense of what's my audience talking about? What are they thinking about? What's top of mind? And a lot of times, you know, we'll use it for messaging, but, and, and Polly may already do this. We're not using it as much for listening. Twitter's incredible to, to find out what's the latest and what's, you know, how are the winds blowing? What are people talking about? Yeah, I've I've gotten um, assignments and and deals because you know we talked about authenticity because I met somebody on Twitter and we just had things in common. I wasn't trying to sell them. I wasn't taking anything. They posted things. I was posting things. We we found the same things kind of interesting, and that went on. And one day they're like, "Hey, I." I'm looking for this. Is that the kind of stuff? And so we had built that relationship. Um, the other way that it's worked for me is I research the publications I want to write for so that they put me in places where my audience for my books would read those articles. One example is I write for psychology today on their, on their blog. And, and I love, doing that because I get to learn all these fascinating things and connect with people that way. But I got a book deal years ago from a publisher who reads that blog all the time and found she was gravitating toward the kind of articles I wrote. And that's how that seemed to be. So I think, you know, for the people researching me and for the research I do, I'm looking for somebody that I can build a relationship with. It doesn't have to be a friendship. But something where we have a commonality, we have the same level of professionalism or courtesy, or we have the same weird humor, or we have some interest in business that we should, so we can start the conversation and go from there. And, and Deb, that's, you know, that's kind of how we merge too. And it's led to good, good things for me. And I hope for both of us, but it's interesting when, um, when you look for that common bond, the connections can go all kinds of professional places as well and personal. Yeah. And this, so we're broadcast on my LinkedIn page, but on Facebook, we, well, I, I stream it to my page, but it's through Mango, our publisher. And that is how we met. And it's, I try to at least usually more, but I try to have at least one Mango on my show each month, which considering I've got like, <laughs> 10 to around 10 people each month. Yeah, usually one or two, because it's also a way to highlight each other. 
you know, we're better when we're working together to elevate each other, which again is why I love doing this show. I also love Twitter chats and I was on them for years, just kind of as the first it starts as the lurker and then the engager and then the <laughs> guest. And then I think it was the beginning of 2018. I started my Twitter chat because most of my community was on Facebook and I wanted to get to people who weren't necessarily on Facebook. And I've been on LinkedIn, I think since 2002, 2003, because I was reading a book and it was on guerrilla marketing. I think it was called guerrilla marketing. And it said, put down the book and join LinkedIn. So I did. <laughs> and watching it evolve has been nice. I think it was stagnant for a while, but the last couple of years, I think it's, it's the epicenter for anything business-esque. Mm. Yeah. If I can, there's, there's one point on research and building relationships, which I think it kind of dovetails. And this is, this is kind of granular, but it may help some people is um, one of the things that we suggest researching on LinkedIn, when you found the person that you like to start building a relationship and keep in mind our world is sales, but um, is check their profile, see if they've posted anything. And that's, that's really easy to do on LinkedIn. Just click see all activity. And the best of all worlds is if they're actively posting on LinkedIn. And in less than 30 seconds, you can scan their posts and see if there are any that you can comment on. And obviously the comments should be non-promotional. It should add to the discussion. And what you should do when you make that comment is tag them so they get notified that you commented. Now, of course, that helps to put you on their radar, but when you comment, it also helps their post because it's a message to LinkedIn's algorithms that people are interested in this post, so LinkedIn is going to show it to more people, which helps them. So it's that's win, just win, one win. other way to research. Exactly. It's win, win, win. You get to know them. They get to know you. You get more attention towards their post, and then they're going to maybe look to see what you're doing. Yes, exactly. Um, and you can do that without even inviting them to connect on LinkedIn. So as far as starting to build a relationship before you even send the invitation, look for opportunities to engage with their content for the reason that Deb just mentioned, it's a win, win, win. And they may come back and look at your profile because to my knowledge, LinkedIn's the only network that lets you see who's looked at you, even if they don't otherwise engage with you. And if they look at your profile, that's like they're knocking on your front door. It's a, it's you know it's an invitation to invite them to connect. And so Eugene, who's been commenting, I think this as recently as a week ago, he was commenting on something. Oh, you should meet Deborah. Tagged me. I said thanks. Congrats to the person. And that person reached out and connected with me. So you don't know. Yeah. And that that to the extra level if you're in a conversation bring other people in there adding a bonus goal on top of that one which segue <laughs> i think we should be giving we should be at this point in the conversation i love to ask my guests to gift a goal to the people who are either watching or listening what is one thing that they can do today tonight or pause and do it right now to really do more with their research. So Stan, what bonus goal would you like to gift our audience? Yep. And mine, it almost goes without saying, but it is when you are looking to build relationships, expand your professional network or non-professional network, take the time to look people up on LinkedIn because it's a way that you can learn a lot about them. If they've taken any time on their profile, a lot of times there are things that you can find out that can help you start to build a relationship. Um, so set a goal of starting making a habit of looking at people's LinkedIn profiles when you're seeking to start to build relationships with them. So make it a habit to add to your research, looking people up on LinkedIn. Yep. 
exactly. Fantastic. And you can almost do like what Polly is doing is if you see somebody interesting on Twitter, go to LinkedIn, learn more about them, and then you're better able to engage in that conversation. Yep. And vice versa, because there's some people who are not active on LinkedIn, but they're super active on Twitter. So if their LinkedIn profile looks dead, check their contact information to see if they have a Twitter handle that they listed on LinkedIn. So let's really make it a habit to add social media sleuthing to social your research Social media process. sleuthing. I love it. Hard to say, social. <laughs> oh, I didn't say to say it three times back, <laughs> but you could. So that that's wonderful. I love it. What about you, Polly? Well, I would do it. Stan says to do, and I need to get off and go do that right now. The other goal I would say, know what you're looking for. It's easy, whether you're asking questions of the next person selling you a car or um, the next client you want to work with or the next uh, information you need for the book you're writing or whatever it is. It's easy to get lost down the rabbit hole. Know what you go, have some parameters of the project or the type of person you want to interview or connect with and know why you're approaching that bit of information, whether it's a person or a topic, so that you don't just spin off into all directions. If I'm going to research something I'm working on, I want to talk to a psychologist, for example, I don't just say any psychologist. I want to talk to a psychologist who's a specialist in human development slash athletic performance or whatever. That gives me a starting point. And then the criteria can get more specific as I go because there is so much available to us um, that, that we can get lost in it and never find the client, never find the sales avenue, never find the topic. And waste a whole day doing that. So I'm very deliberate. I will even, I will say, here's what I'm looking for. Sometimes I even give myself a time limit. I have 20 minutes mm -hmm. to investigate this or whatever it is, right? Um, and sometimes it takes several days, but I still work within the parameters of that, whether I'm looking for a podcast uh, interview or whatever, um, because I want the best person or the best product or the best information for that topic. And so uh, I'm very precise and specific in what I'm looking for. So to, today the goal would be decide what you want to know. What do you want to research? Write it in one sentence. I am researching this and, and get granular and figure it out and go after that. I think giving it a sentence and a time limit will be super helpful because it's, I talk about not falling into the social media abyss all the time. The research abyss is probably just as dangerous. So decide what you want to know in one sentence and forcing yourself to make it one sentence is awesome. I love this. Did you want to add something, Stan? You looked like you wanted to. I was just going to ask if I have time to ask you, the both of you, a quick question. I know we have six minutes or less left. I, I wanted to ask Polly how she separates the noise uh, the facts from the noise and research. There's so much information out there. How do you say, okay, this I can just put aside. There's meat in this. Super hard because I love noise. <laughs> I can go all over. I'm curious about a lot of things. Um, the, the practice that I use, uh, because what was happening is I was spending a lot of time on the noise and there were ideas that weren't getting done that were important to me or that were important to my publisher or that were important to my editors. So it was becoming a, a time suck for me that I, I couldn't afford and I didn't want to afford it. And so what I do now is when I land in the noise, I keep a notepad or uh, my phone, the notes section open, and I write the noise down. Because for me, a lot of times noise looks like an article I want to come back to and read the whole thing, or a person that's super interesting that I want to research later for maybe another idea, or it could be another idea I want to write about. Because when I'm reading and talking to people, all these other threads get, I get hung up in all these other threads, which can turn into other cool things. Yeah. When I write it down and I have um, what I call a file, a paper file, and it's called my parking folder. 
when I write it down, I usually do things by hand when I'm, you know, I'm surfing, you know, I'm researching online, I'm taking notes by hand. I will just drop that, that post-it or that note in my parking folder. And at the end of every week or the end of the day, I look at that parking folder and see what is compelling me now. Where do I go next? Because sometimes the noise is just noise. It gets me excited, but it's not going to turn me on the next day or, or get me going the next day, but I don't want to lose it. So I find when I get it out of my head and into a separate place that I know it's safe, then I can quiet myself and stay focused on what I'm doing. Thank you so much. Thanks, Deb. Oh, of course. It is. You just gave as an example, one of my favorite tips, which is to keep a notebook or a document for all those things for later, because then you, I, you know how much I love lists. I think both of you do. <laughs> if it's not written down, it doesn't, exist. it doesn't exist. But when you take it out of your head and put it on the side, then you can go back to what you need to be focused on. That's great. I will share my favorite tip for not falling into the abyss, but, but Holly said it as well, set a timer. Don't just give yourself a time limit, set a timer. So when it goes off, you need to like jar yourself back to wherever you were before. So yes, there you is, go. That is good. Do you have a tip for avoiding the noise stand? You asked the question. Oh, it's funny because I've just started to experiment with setting a timer. Um, we all have yeah. them. Yeah, and I do that too. Else. I do the timer bit too and, all the time. And I have to use Google Docs in order to, to take notes because the most frustrating thing in the world is not being able to read my own handwriting. <laughs> so I guess that's, yeah, that that's my one tip is for those like me. Google Docs will work too or another form of sure. digital notes. Sometimes I record even. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'll do my voice recorder on the phone or whatever. Yeah. Just, just get it out and hold on to it. Yeah. The thing that I love about Google Docs is because they are wherever you are. So I, I have like at least four of these notebooks going at once because each one is for either a different project or uh, a batch of similar items. But when you keep like items together, like thoughts or ideas, then you don't have to look for them later. They're all in one place. Super helpful. So before we wrap, and hopefully we will also have time for you both to give one final tip. But Stan, where can people find you? Yep, you can find me on LinkedIn. You know, if you go to LinkedIn.com, I'm Stan Robinson. Uh, they're on LinkedIn and uh, at Vingresso, stan at vingresso.com and Vingresso's with one S. And these, again, will be in the show notes where you can get at thedubmethod.com slash blog. And so, Polly, where can people find you? I'm at polycampbell.com and you can link to my books and the podcast there. The podcast is Polly Campbell Simply Said. You can also sign up for my um notes, the Simply Said notes, which come each week. And they're essays about how I'm integrating the stuff in my own life or not, how I, it's a mess some days too. And I'm on social media at PL Campbell uh, is my Twitter handle. And I'm there, Facebook. I do have a profile on LinkedIn, which I'll be updating and uh, every place else. So yeah, but you can get me a direct email on polycampbell.com if you want to check in that way. Excellent. And so Polly has a bonus goal to update her LinkedIn profile. We will be watching. All right, and, I'll do it. <laughs> and I am at the Deb Method everywhere, or you can go to thedebmethod.com slash goals to learn more about how I can help you figure out what you want and how to get it. And you can grab a copy of You Recharge or your goal guide on Amazon or at your favorite place to buy books. And show them on too, Doug. <laughs> I was trying to synchronize us. Oh, well, so before we wrap, one final tip, Holly, one final tip, Stan, go. 
One final tip. I would say think about the value that you have to offer when you're researching rather than what you hope to get to the person. So when I'm reaching out to an audience member, a potential reader of my book, I want to add value to their life before I'm concerned about how she's going to buy the book. Um, if I if I want uh, somebody on the podcast, I'm looking at how the podcast may assist them before I'm looking at the value they can bring me. I hope it's mutual, but I I'm really want to add something to them before I ask for something from me. Fantastic. Wow. And what about you, Stan? Final thought? It, it was a different way of saying the exact same thing I realized. It, it's basically put on the cap of the person that you want to reach out to and get to know them so you understand what's important to them. I'm going to just yeah. say it's the final thought from both Holly and Stan which is wonderful. Well, thank you both Holly Campbell and Stan Robinson Jr. for joining me today to talk about research uh, and so much more. So thank you. If you're watching or listening, thank you for tuning in. Again, I'm Deborah Eckerling. So thrilled that you took time for yourself and your goals today. So go on, do that research. Look at how other people will research you. Put your best foot forward. Be authentic. And go out there and go for it. We know you can do it. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.